0: All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to finish Ruth today. Um, and, and the way in which I want to do this is I want to start with uh, 1 John chapter 4. Of course, I hear. So let, let me ask you this, you, and, and, and you can answer if you want, I don't care, because um, I'm going to keep on going even if you don't answer. Um, if, you, if you, and I should say, when you have been reading this, uh, reading through Ruth, You've also been reading through First John, and, and you're seeing how um, all of this really comes together, and it, it, it's interesting to you, I'm, I'm helping you here, it's interesting to you how God weaves his stories together uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how uh, we can see the show of, of God's love that's spoken about in First uh, John, we can see how it was displayed in the book of Ruth. Everybody's like, got that, right? Yep. So awesome. All right, that's why we're doing this. All right, so 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 7. And I'm going to end um, with verse 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I love that because we, we focused on that last week about that, living through him. And how can we live through him? Uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, if you don't have that highlighted or underlined or, or, or noted in your Bible, make sure that you note that um, because what I'm talking about today um, is going to, I'm not going to come back to this particular verse, but you're going to think about this. This is going to uh, be uh, brought up in, in your memory. The Holy Spirit's going to uh, illuminate something to you. And what it is that he's going to bring to remembrance is that uh, uh, God giving his son as a propitiation, remember the satisfying uh, atonement for our sins, is the most unlikeliest thing that you could have ever imagined. So just just think about it. It's the most unlikeliest thing that you could have ever imagined. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Another side note, and this one's for free, that this abides in us. Just think of to continue in. This is something that it is, it, it, we, we don't use the word "abide" a lot, but w- when we're talking about God's love abiding in us and He abiding in us and us in Him, it's we're continuing in Him. So think about that. to continue in something, you've got to start, right? It doesn't have a, 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 a point in which you end. It says that we abide him. It's a, a forever continuing in God's love and in God and him in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and that he in us. So you can know, you don't have to wonder, is God in me or not? Or am I? Well, it says here, by this, we know, right, that we abide in him. How is that? Because he has given us us his spirit, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. I don't care how uh, secular or how um, atheistic anyone is. the, uh, the, The fact that Jesus walked on this earth is undeniable. So, so just think about that. I mean, because we have the, our friends that don't believe or don't want to believe or, or, and I don't know, well, well, historical evidence alone says that Jesus walked on this earth. So let's just, just keep that in mind. I lost my spot. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe. You see how knowledge and belief is going together a lot here? The love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. So there's a characteristic there, right? And God abides in him. By this is love perfected, and that perfected is made complete with us, so that we may have confidence. So perfected love, complete love, love from God gives us what? It gives us confidence for the day of judgment. So when we stand in front of God, it is the love of God that's going to give us confidence as we stand there. We do not have to stand in judgment and fear. And why do we not have to stand in judgment and fear? Because of the love of God. This is not the the, the Bud Light, I love you, man, kind of love. This is Christian love. This is agape love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this is where I want to end, because this is where I want us to, to, to launch. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Now, just keep that, that, that thought in mind. Keep that, um, okay, God loves me. And, and before I even loved God, what does it say? He loved me. He, he, he loved me. He has, and that's not just a, a, a liking towards. That's a deep compassion for. So think about that. Just let that sink in. So ter- with that, I know you guys are just like, you're drilling in now and you're like, okay, got it. Now turn to Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. And like I said, we're going to uh, wrap this up today. Hey, did these lights come up any more in the front here? These lights? Is that it? Oh, okay. My eyes are going to bug you today or something. Glasses aren't the answer. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. I'm, I just hold it closer. We'll be good. Uh, I don't need bifocals yet. All right. Uh, chapter 4, uh, we're in verse 13. We have, uh, uh, went through the, 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 the book here, and we, we started out with, um, uh, in, in chapter one, we started out with a family who was uh, faced with a crisis, and this crisis was, there was a famine in the land, uh, and, and Naomi and Elimelech and her, and their two sons, they left, uh, they, they left Bethlehem, they left uh, Palestine there, and they went to Moab, and while they were in Moab, uh, Elimelech died, uh, Malon died, Chilion died, uh, so it was just Naomi. That was left with her two daughters-in-law. Uh, her, her, her daughters-in-law being Moabites. One being, uh, we know one's Ruth. What's the other name? Oh, Oprah. Somebody, I heard it. Somebody said Oprah. Orpa, right? So uh, Ruth decided to come back with Naomi. We've seen the faithfulness of Naomi come through and manifest through why Ruth wanted to come back with her. Uh, We we identified over the last few weeks uh, uh, a lot of of reasons what what took place or uh, the the reason or the purpose that that, that Ruth uh, did what she did when it comes to uh, going and gleaning the the fields uh, of Boaz and uh, being able to provide for uh, Naomi. But ultimately, like we literally, yeah, we learned last week what a redeemer was. We, we learned that, that Boaz redeemed uh, Naomi and Ruth. And, and what we, we also know is what we're going to see today is the action in which um, Boaz took after he redeemed uh, Naomi's, the, 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 the property, the, the inheritance, he took uh, um, Ruth and he made her his wife. So this is where we pick up here in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and that took is not me grabbing hold of Matt and running and taking him with me. That took is, it means to marry. So it says here that so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. I think that's important because I, there, there are some people who um, uh, make comment uh, about when, when uh, Ruth went to the threshing floor and she uncovered the feet uh, of, of Boaz and laid down that that uh, meant that they had sex. But what we understand is that's not true. It wasn't until they were properly married that this took place. And, and uh, it says that when um, he went into her, that the Lord, it was, it was God's hand upon them, blessing them, gave a conception, and she bore a son. Which, that's not something we just kind of overlook. This, this is huge. Wasn't she, it's not that, that, that a daughter's not important, but what a son does is it continues on the family line. And we see here that, um, uh, that, that uh, Naomi then, at that point, has another redeemer. Then the, woman said, or the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. So at, at first glance, it's like, okay, they're, they're talking about uh, Boaz. They're not. It says here that he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. So this, this child in which was born was a redeemer that is going to give life, restore life to this, this, this old lady. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, his father, or he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Um, we'll talk here in a minute, but don't, don't overlook that. That this, this child that was born, named Obed... Kind of cool fact, which means servant. So th- this child that was born that was going to be the restorer of life for Naomi, they named him Servant, but he was not just a, 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 a typical uh, um, baby. He was not just a, a typical run-of-the-mill lineage carry oner I know that's not a word, but what, what it is um, important of the, the writer notes that this was the father of Who? Jesse, who? Jesse's the father of David. Okay, if your Bible knowledge serves you correctly, and I'm sure that it does for most of us here, that it is through the line of David that the Messiah is promised. It is through David's line that the Messiah is promised. This book was written after the reign of David, after David had been, had been king, after God had given promise to David. So what the writer here is doing is reminding the, 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 the uh, audience, uh, the, the, the children of God, the, the, the Israelites here, and ultimately us, that he has promised something in the, and we can see his promise come into fruition through this Redeemer that has been given to them. Everybody tracking so far? All right, so let's let's finish it out. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. It, it may seem like it was kind. Of, it's kind of like it's kind of a weird way to finish a book. Like, you know, why would you finish? The story that way. Well, there was an importance. The importance was that what God has promised, He's going to fulfill, and only He fulfills that. So when I, I look at this, we see that um, it, it, the, the story starts with a family, and some tragedy strikes. God provides, and it ends with the family. What, what I, I think that there are many, 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 many lessons that we can see um, throughout all this. But I want to I want to just draw into to one. I would say one main lesson in this portion of Scripture. And what I want to, to, to draw into is where we're going to get like our main focus here is that um, God is faithful in the unlikely. He's faithful in the unlikely. So if you're, if you're a note taker and you want to take notes, that's what the, the, this is, the, the, big, the big idea. Faithful in the unlikely. Well, what do you mean? Ruth was an unlikely choice. Why was? Can anybody tell me one reason why Ruth was an unlikely choice? She was a Moabite, was a Moabite. exactly. I mean, we stressed that she was a Moabite, and, and her being a Moabite made her a very unlikely choice. Now, pause that for a second. I want us to, to, to look at, at the, the importance of God using unlikely people, because we can say that she was an unlikely choice, but if, if we don't understand that God uses unlikely people, then we can't, we're going to miss the purpose here. Understand that, that God uses unlikely people, people that don't fit the mold, right? If you have, like, I don't understand that. All I got to do is have the elders and deacons stand up, and you were like, "Mm, I got it. (laughs) Unlikely people, right? Some misfits. (laughs) Jake's looking around like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm normal. (laughs) No, everybody else is. (laughs) God uses unlikely people, but not only does God use unlikely people, he uses unlikely situations, situations that don't make sense. We can look at this famine and we're like, man, this just doesn't make sense. We can look at an event in our life and say, it just doesn't make sense. But my, 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 my focus here is that um, it's in our unlikeliness. It's in those, those, those situations that happen or those people that we just don't think that, that God can use. That God can use and it's a good opportunity for God to, to be great. Any one of you in here should be like, mm hmm, I know me. If God has done a work in me, I am absolutely, my mind's already poof, gone, blown, because I know that I'm the unlikely one. And for God to use the unlikely, I can can relate to that. Now, not only, and as I was kind of just rustling through this and working through this, I seen that, you know, yes. Ruth is the unlikely candidate here. But why did Boaz end up choosing to marry Ruth? Why did not Because it's a misconception that people think that, well, he was a redeemer. He had to. No, he did not have to. There was no legal obligation that he had to. He chose to. And why did he choose to? to marry Ruth? Why did he choose to, to, to uh, make her his wife? And and as I was kind of asking this question, I was reminded that this is not something that is, is new to Boaz, the unlikeliness. Can anyone, this is for extra credit, can anyone, and I think this influenced his decision, can anyone, in one word, don't keep going on? Can anyone tell me, without flipping any pages, who Boaz's mom is? You're a cheater. I know, but she's still a cheater. Rahab. Rahab. Okay, so wait a second. Let's put a, put a, put a little, little, little pause button on here. Okay, so Rahab. Yeah, Kim's my mom. That doesn't make. No. Okay, Rahab. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who are, are it's, not, it's not clicking yet, it, it will, but for, or maybe you just haven't heard the story. Um, for those of you who don't know who Rahab is, hold your finger in Ruth and, and turn back to Joshua chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole story. What I'm going to read is just a, a, a snippet, so it gives you a little bit of, of um, a, a, a direction where you're going to go this week in your own time. 26. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 25. Joshua 6, 25. And it says this, But Rahab the... What? But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So So... Rahab was the prostitute who hid the, the, the spies so they didn't get caught by uh, the, 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 the men of Jericho when, when Joshua sent out his spies to spy out the land. So just think about this. This is why I believe that, that, that one of the reasons, if not the reason, why uh, uh, Boaz chose to, to marry Ruth was because he, he knows. He knew he knows without a shadow of a doubt that God uses unlikely people. Why? Because there's only three wooden crosses, right? Who, who's heard that? Was that Randy Travis, Three Wooden Crosses? You're just thinking that, right? So the, the, that song, Three Wooden Crosses, if you haven't listened to it, it's an old Randy Travis. It's Randy Travis, right? It, Randy Travis song talks about three wooden crosses. Boaz knew because of what his mom used to be. And how unlikely that his mother was that he said, you know what, God can use the unlikely. So in his mind, this was a significant influence for him, I believe. And I believe that we understand on a grander picture how God uses unlikely people. And for those, for those of you who don't understand the impact uh, of highlighting a woman in this culture, this was huge. This was earth-shattering. They, they don't have equal opportunity in anything uh, that, that goes on um, back in the, the time. This time, we're in the time of uh, of Jesus. So to 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 recognize a woman was was out of the norm. Turn over to, to Matthew chapter one real quick. I'm just trying to drive home my point just a little bit. So those of you that already got it, like, okay, move on, tough. Matthew chapter 1, verses, uh, let's start in verse 1. We're going to go, we'll just read down to verse 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. This is why when, when you're reading the Bible, you do not want to skip over genealogies. You read through them. Sometimes you won't you're like, okay, this guy beget this guy and this guy beget this guy and what what does this have to do? I, I tell you what, God has spoken to me sometimes in reading through genealogies that I am just glad that I did not skip over it. So never skip over it when you're reading through. Read read through it. Abraham was a father of Isaac, and Isaac was a father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. First woman, note that. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Minadad. And Minadad the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. That's the second one, right? And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. That's the third one. And Bo- Obed by the fa- or father Jesse. And Jesse father... And the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And for those you know, that's Bathsheba, right? There's four women that are right there in those six verses. And for the writer here, for Matthew to identify those women, there's a significance in that. And it's not, let's just not be, uh, uh, um, let's not just focus on the the, the sex of them. Let's focus on the unlikeliness of them. Tamar, that was the daughter-in-law of Judah, right? So, sticky situation there. Then we have Rahab, we just talked about Rahab. Then we have Ruth of Moabite. And then we have Bathsheba, the one who which David committed adultery with, right? Unlikely, unlikely characters, correct? Someone that you and I, can, we can relate with because they're unlikely. And, and, and my, 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 my push here, my, my focus is that when we look at these unlikely women, and I don't want to focus just on the, the women, but when, when, God, when, we're, when God uses and, and he hand he, he handpicks these unlikely people, they're for a purpose, And I love this as I was putting this all together that this thought came in mind. So, um, as far as I know, it's original. So, I I don't know. I'm sure maybe I read it somewhere. I just, I honestly can't remember where if I did. So, it's obviously original then. God's not looking for perfect, He's looking for prospects. Just think about that for a second. God's not looking for perfect. He used some unperfect individuals. He's looking for someone he can mold, and it's willing to be used by him. Now, when we, when we look at this, we can see, okay, yes, this is all in the line of Jesus. This is in the lineage of Jesus, and God used some unlikely people. But it all stopped with, with Jesus, right? Because he, he got to where he wanted to go, and, and God stopped using unlikely people, right? No. No. One of my favorite stories of, 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 of an unlikely character, if we're going to continue on with the, 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 the talk about the, focusing on, on the, these women, how they were unlikely, is the, the woman at the well, John chapter 4, where we, we get our focus on, on, on one of the ministries in which we do here, when, where we get the, the, the understanding that, that God used this unlikely Samaritan woman to transform a whole city. Turn with me real quick to uh, John chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to read just for sake of time because I have some other things I want to talk about, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. What we know and what, what you can do on your own is read through John chapter 4, uh, one through, was it 45 or whatever it is, 40, 42. Um, it, you can read through that and read the whole story of, of what, what took place. But what we know and what, we, what I'll do is just wrap this up in the sense of Jesus was in a place where it was unlikely for, for Jesus and his disciples to be in Samaria was like, we said it, like us being in Michigan, right? It's like oh my goodness, we can't do that, right? So so Jesus was in Samaria, and not only was Jesus in Samaria, he was at the well, uh, Jacob's well, and not only was he at, at the well, at, at noon, the, the hottest point of the day, a woman came. And the, and what, what's significant about that? Well, it's because uh, it was the hottest point of the day, when the woman came, that what makes made it significant, because she didn't come in the morning, and she didn't come in the afternoon, because no one else wanted to be around her, or she, or she didn't want to be around anyone, anyone else. She was an out. Outcast. So Jesus is in an unlikely uh, place and an unlikely situation happens with an unlikely character. But what we know is Jesus talks to her and, and through his words to her and her understanding of what, what he is, who he is and what he has said, she goes running back to Sychar, this, the, the, the city in which she came from. And when she goes running back to the city in which she came from, um, it, it, this is what, what I want to, uh, to to highlight here. Verse thirty nine. It says, "So she went back, and it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I did. Unlikely situation, unlikely location, unlikely person, and God's using him." using her here. And, and, and God's using her to go and, and back to where she came from, around the people she didn't want to be around to proclaim his good news. Who he was. It says, verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So when she went, to, to talk, went back to talk to him, they believed her at least enough to, to come to see, right? And then they said, you need to stay with us a couple more days. I love 41. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the, the woman, and this isn't like dishing or dissing her. Like this isn't uh, diminishing what she said. It says that they said, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. God used the, 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 the unlikely woman to draw the people to Jesus. And when, they drew, when the people were drawn to Jesus, they heard for them, themselves the truth. And it says that many more believed. So, so just, let's just think of that on a practical level for y'all. For us all. So you're, you're the Samaritan. You need to, I need to, we need to go out and, and interact with the people in which we interact with on a daily basis, Right? We need to tell them the truth in love, right? Tell them, interact with them, get them to say, you know what? I want to hear more. And then draw them in to where? To to hear, to the church, right? Because then they can hear more and they can believe for themselves. They don't have to take your word for it. They can see that, wow, wow. This is, you know, Michelle's not as nutty as I thought she was. There are other nutty people too, <laughs> right? Well, that may be a little stretch. But I understand that, 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 that when they were, they're drawn in here, they can hear the truth for themselves. And then when they hear the truth for themselves, then they can make that decision and they can say this. So it's not, it's not because of what you said. It's because of what I've heard and I believe this. And I understand that, you know, I'm unlikely too. And I think that that's where we have to kind of, kind of finish out or, or, or come to the realization: is accept that you're unlikely, because everybody. I guess the, the politically correct term is unique, right? Everybody says, "Oh, I'm, I'm unique." No, you're unlikely, and God uses the unlikely. God's faithfulness, and I, I, I love this thought. God's faithfulness shines brightest. In the unlikeliness. Where does light shine the brightest? In the dark, right? God's greatness, his faithfulness, shines the brightest in the most unlikely or in the unlikeliness. Why does God use unlikely people in unlikely situations? To spread his message and for him to get all the glory. It's so that I can't say that I did it, or Jake or whoever can say, hey, look what we've done. No, look what God has done, because I'm unlikely. During Advent, we talked about the, the, the messengers, the, the shepherds, the unlikely messengers. The most crazy idea was to, 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 for, for God to reveal himself to, to these outcasts, and for those outcasts to go and spread his good news. As we were talking through, and I I said that um, uh, for you to to, to highlight that verse in in 1 John 4 about uh, God sent His Son to be the propitiation, the the satisfying atonement for, for us, the greatest unlikeliness, the greatest act of unlikeliness, the most unlikely, I don't know how much more I can emphasize this, the most unlikely the most unlikely thing for God to do was to send Jesus. The most unlikely thing in all of human history, we can look to the cross and we can look to see the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Why is that unlikely? Because God stepped out of heaven and stepped into his creation. Why? Why, 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 why do you do that? Because he first loved us. And we can see here, and we can understand that, that, wow, even though I've messed up, even though I am unlikely, God loved me. And he stepped off, and what's that, uh, how many kings stepped down from their throne, right? He stepped down from his throne, and into an unlikely situation, an un- something that we would deem unlikely, and he did the most unlikely thing which he gave his life for ours. So when we look at this and we're we're, we're saying, man, God used Ruth. God can use me. Yeah, you know why? Because of the interaction and the transaction, the most unlikely transaction that took place. If you don't know this, if you don't know this verse, I I think you do, but um, turn with me to to Romans chapter 5 real quick. Because I, I think that, that 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 we we may have a tendency to, to forget or to look over or to not see the emphasis that is needed. Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says this: "But God shows His what love. His love. So, but God shows His love for us." And I and, and just sit there for a second. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know. I've never. You don't have to ask. You don't have to wonder because the Bible's clear that God shows his love. He's shown us his love. He's manifested his love. Just because you don't want to look at it, it's kind of like the dirt behind the refrigerator. Just because you don't want to look at the dirt behind the refrigerator doesn't mean it's not there, right? Or the mouse pooper, whatever it is, you know? Just because you don't want to look at it doesn't mean it's not there. Just in the same sense, just because you don't want to look at God's love, maybe you don't know how to look at God's love. Just because you don't want to view and live and have that love abide in you doesn't mean it's not there. It says here, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I, this is one of those times where I don't think that, that this translation of the Bible does it, this, this, this verse justice because it says, yeah, while well, we're still sinners, yeah, we're all sinners. No, but that's not what that word means, sinners. It's better translated enemies. While we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. I, I, I watched a movie on a Friday night that... Um, it was rated R, so don't throw rocks at me, but, uh, a movie that I've been wanting to watch, but I haven't had the house to myself, um, so I had the house to myself, I watched a movie, uh, called 13 Hours, so, uh, at your own discretion, at your own discretion, watch this, it, it, it's, it's, it's an account of what happened in Benghazi in 2012, where the, where the, the um, diplomatic outpost got, uh, overrun, whatever, I'm watching that, and, and, and mind you, I'm working through my sermon and everything, and I'm thinking about enemies. And, and, and as I'm watching the, the, this this movie, this this um, uh, uh, this based on a true story, the the Libyan rebels were, were uh, just in droves coming at uh, the the um, well the, the, the outpost there and the CIA headquarters whatever it was right there. These they were coming at it, and, and um, the the the, 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 U, the Americans, uh, the the U.S. service members that were there, I should say ex-service members that were there, they were defending. And, and, and there was a battle going on. And, and there, was a, a, there was bloodshed. And I'm thinking about enemies. So I'm thinking about these Libyan rebels running towards and trying to kill the Americans. And what runs through my mind is, while I was doing that to God, while I was an enemy of him, he laid down his life for me. When I wanted to, an enemy wants to kill the opponent, right? When I, well, I never want to kill God. Your actions, our actions as uh, sinners, right, that we're born into sin, our actions are against God. We're enemies. We want to do our will, not God's. When I actively wanted to put God to death, because that's, that's, that's what atheists wants to do. That's what people who don't believe in God, they want to put this notion, they want to put God to death. When I was actively wanting to put God to death, it says he showed his love for me and he died for me. I don't know about you, but that's unlikely, right? That's an unlikely situation. So when we're talking about with confidence, we can have the love of God and with confidence, I can stand on judgment day. It's because the the one who judges all has laid down his life for me in the most unlikely situation. Don't ever, 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 ever believe the lie of the devil that God can't use you because you've done this or you've done that. God uses you because of you've done this and you've done that. He uses the unlikely. That's why I think it's important that we just press into the fact that God's not looking for perfect. Why is God not looking for perfect? Because he's the only one that's perfect. God's not looking for perfect. He's looking for prospects. And that's you and me. So how is God, how are you going to let God use you in the situations in which you're in in your life? Are we going to be like Ruth and say, okay, God, use me however you want. Use me in a mighty way. Use me to, to be the, what would that be, the grandma of the king.